minimalists. <laughs> Howdy. You're live, Josh. How does it feel? I feel so alive. Yeah, man. Howdy, everyone. We could stop the broadcast at any time. That's right. Ryan, put your phone in airplane mode. I'm put my phone in airplane mode to make sure this is uninterrupted. And chuck it out the window. And see if it'll fly. All right. Uh, no, you uh, first. We've got questions from you all. Yeah. You guys voted what you wanted us to answer. Yeah, yeah. So you all sent in questions. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter. We really appreciate it. You all sent in your questions. I've got them here. And you upvoted them to figure out what your favorite questions were. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I know many of you uh, aren't going to be able to see the live recording of this because you are in uh, Timbuktu or you are in Germany. Um, we just got the new German. I think this is German, Ryan. I don't know. Is it? That doesn't look German to me. I think it's like Dutch or something. It could be. The new German version, or maybe the Dutch version of minimalism. <laughs> it, I don't it's know. a European language. I know that. You, well, you, it's a Germanic language, that's for sure. Yes. But so is English. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, I know you might be somewhere else in the world and you have time to watch this live stream live, but we obviously record this after the fact or, or during here and you can watch the video after the fact. We also record a audio version. We have a few of those banked, don't we, Sean? Podcast Sean is hiding back there. Yeah. Maybe what we can do is put a few of those out there as a bonus, as an audio version of this. So we've got a few of the audio versions. We'll put those in your private podcast feed. So if you don't already, just take the, the link that we give you every single time we send out one of those private podcasts, put it into your podcast player. So you might be on Apple Podcasts or uh or Overcast or yeah. Feedly, any of those places. You just take that link that we send you each time. It's a private link. Don't share it with anyone. And you then get the our podcast, the, the audio version of the private podcast just for you right there on your phones. We're in our new podcast studio. Thank you for supporting us. It's allowed yes. us to build this. So we had LA sound panels come out here, do all the sound paneling around the room. We had it painted this nice matte gray. Um, we are at a temporary table right now. We've got a standing table that's going to come in here. And in the summer, we hope to, with enough Patreon supporters, do the uh, video version of the podcast as well. Hi. Yeah quality video and also do different snippets do other video creations meaningful creations for you all and we're grateful for your support let's dive into your questions we want to be respectful of your time and we've got 27 minutes left at this point <laughs> thank you josh all right tina says do you have any good strategies for how to gauge whether or not to keep a job or move on mm. i've been doing the same job for 18 years and i feel like i'm going to change it uh, the time to change it should be now or never. I'm 41, if that helps. Man. Uh, yeah, it sounds like you need to move on. Um, and I mean that sincerely. Like We were actually having this conversation today with Rob Bell. He was sitting at this microphone, a friend of ours, Rob Bell, who uh, has a new movie out um, tomorrow called The Heretic, uh, March 1st. It's on iTunes and on Amazon. And one of the things he was talking about is like, moving on to new seasons. Sometimes you need to leave the job you love before you end up hating it. Mm. Right. Yeah. Because if life was continued to stay the same in perpetuity, then we'd all be playing with Legos still. Yeah. And, well, maybe we need to start playing with Legos again. It could be full circle. At some point, we could build like the most amazing Lego house. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm not telling you to leave your job, obviously. No. And there might be a reason for you to stay. But the the red flag, and Ryan, you tell me what you think about this. The red flag for me is... She's asking the question. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, she needs to think about it for sure. I, I deal a lot with this with my mentoring clients. Yeah. And I'll tell you, half the time someone comes to me and they say, I got to leave my job, they do. 
And the other half of the time, they actually don't. And uh, and maybe it's 60-40 or maybe, I mean, but it's it's close to 50-50. Right. Um, so what, what I usually do with my mentoring clients is I, I help them to first really get clear on uh, what what are their values and beliefs. And this is where you and I always start. And it's such a simple step. And it sounds so simple. But if you don't know what your values and beliefs are, if you haven't written them down, do that. Mm. Um, the reason why I have uh, my mentoring students start there is because usually the pain that they're feeling, they can they can pinpoint, oh yeah, it's right here. It's the, you know what, it's the time with my friends and family uh, and I, I'm not able to do that. And that's really important to me. And that is why I don't like this job. And this is why I have to leave. So uh, so I think first, uh, yes, just to reiterate, getting clear on what those values and beliefs are, it can help you where the actual pain is uh, coming from this job. So next, I have them really look at, okay, is there time during the day? Uh, can, can, can you alter your workday a little bit to maybe give uh, some of these values and these beliefs some attention and at least start to, to, to um, you know, kind of, kind of fix this, this feeling of discontent. Because I know when I feel discontent, it's there's something that I'm not doing that is uh, not aligned or there's something that I'm doing that isn't aligning with my values and beliefs or there are, there, there's a portion of my values and beliefs that I'm totally ignoring. So is there a way to rework your work day to to maybe use the time to focus on those. So maybe the job can fulfill the values even though it's not right well, now. Well, maybe it can't fulfill the values, but maybe maybe the job actually could allow time mm -hmm. outside to uh, fulfill those values. But it's also possible that a job you're doing right now has become stale and you can you can reinvigorate it. Sure, uh, yeah, by absolutely. trying to align your values with with that. Now, like for us, here's here's a good example. Here's the opposite. You and I left the corporate world that we were in because it was literally not possible for us to align our values no. with the the industry that we were no, in. No, the the work environment that we were in, uh, the the work required from us, uh -huh. um, uh, the actual work. When you know we really looked at it, it was not it was not in alignment with our values and beliefs. So in that case. That's where we had to come up with an exit plan. It doesn't mean that we couldn't have found another corporation to go work for sure. that would have aligned with our values. We certainly could have. Absolutely. We just chose a different route. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that she needs to leave her job or she doesn't need to leave her job. But I think that there are a couple questions or a couple things um, that she can look at to really decide whether or not she needs to leave a job. Because I know me personally, uh, I, I had, I say I worked at um, the telecommunications company for eight years you were there for 10 right you were there for i was yeah, there for like was 10 yeah i was there two years less than you so i was there for eight years um and i'll tell you during the eight years i i had seven or eight job titles and the reason being is because as soon as i would master one job i had this like dying itch to get to the next job and i just kept up that process now you know i guess i guess luckily like in that job, I was able to kind of j jump from job to job to kind of fulfill that need. But ultimately, th that's not healthy. Mm. Uh, jumping from I was literally jumping, you know, out of the out of the well, not literally. Hmm. I was I was, <laughs> I was literally figuratively. <laughs> um, no, I was jumping out of the fryer into the frying pan, mm. and I was trading, you know, X problems for new problems. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they were worse. Sometimes they were better. 
but ultimately I never I never did like a, a very deliberate move with my my roles. It was always kind of taking the next promotion that was available to me. So you gotta be careful of that too, because Josh and I right here could be like, yes, you know what? You need to get a new job. And in fact, here's a really easy way for you to find a new job, but you don't wanna put yourself into the same situation. So that's the next thing I'll tell my, my mentoring students that if it does get to a point where they're like, yeah, you know what? Um, this job does not align with my values and beliefs. Uh, there really isn't any any room for me to grow anywhere in this. I do have to leave my job. Well, then the next job that you choose, you, it has to align with every single value and belief, the or as close as you can to it. I don't think I don't think there's a perfect job out there. Yeah, I mean, there's but, al- there's always going to be some sort of administrative thing that drives yeah, you crazy. Dude, we, I mean, we got to pay taxes. We have to. <laughs> there, there's things that Josh and I got to do that we hate doing, but it's yeah, it's stuff that we have to do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, oh, and one other resource for you. I know uh, uh, we were just talking about Rob Bell. He has a book called How to Be Here. And uh, my partner, Rebecca, who runs a website called Minimal Wellness, she read that book and totally just like that month walked away from her job. And it was it was like the catalyst for her. You know, I, I could sit here and talk to her until I was blue in the face about <laughs> leaving a toxic work environment. But she read that and it was like, it was the thing that she needed. So yeah, yeah check that out for sure. Yeah, it, yeah, that is, uh, you're right, man. Because what that uh, book will also help you do is, um, what we were talking about at the beginning of this question was, you could look at that job and actually find some meaning in it. Yeah. yeah. Bettina says, how do you find motivation to become the best version of yourself when you are consistently finding yourself giving in to impulses, <laughs> like uh, bad diet, uh, bad habits, etc.? How do you break mm. out of the cycle when you're betraying your own focus? You got to find leverage. You have to find some type of leverage. Uh, I just found leverage recently. I found out that I was pre-diabetic type two. Mm. Uh, that's enough leverage for me to make the right decisions. Um, I've lost like 12 pounds. I can't tell you if you can tell how slimming I am. Anyway, <laughs> no, I've lost like 12 pounds over the last two or three weeks. And I have, uh, I have literally um, cut out all sugar. Uh, I've had three French fries. <laughs> um, I've I've had I can count on one hand how many how many drinks I've had. Uh, it is it is something that I have to take seriously. If I don't change my diet, then um, I'm gonna have some very very serious health issues. Yeah, pre-diabetic doesn't turn into not diabetic. It turns into diabetic. Right? Ex- exactly. Yeah. So what 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 leverage is it, Amy? No, it's Bettina. I'm sorry. Bettina. But Bettina. Oh, Bettina. Yeah. So Bettina, what lever what other leverage do you have to help you break these habits? If you're if you're a parent, you know, I always I, if I'm a parent, I think about how I want to be the best version of myself for my kids, like to be a really good example. Like what kind of parent do I want my my child to emulate? Mm. So that's another piece of leverage. So find something that is that means a lot to you, and that is going to, uh, it's going to. I was going to say emotionally move you, but you could probably speak to some stuff that, you know, intellectually. I'm sure there, are, like Josh knows, if he doesn't, you know, sit down and write, mm. he's not going to get any writing done. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's some leverage that he uses. There's there's a saying that writers don't like writing; they like having written. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true with anything else. Like. You don't like going to the gym necessarily, especially the the sort of triggers that get you. They're like, I have to get up, to put the right the shoes on, and the shorts, and uh, the process, yeah. and we gotta walk there, take the car, whatever it is. There's this whole thing, all these hurdles, right? 
but you don't like ha- that process, but you like having gone to the gym. Right. And Absolutely. You, you like having done that for a week or a month or a year. And so I think one of the things when it comes to changing our habits, it has to do with changing our triggers. Um, quite often we have really bad triggers in our life. If you're a smoker, here's a good example. Uh, waking up is a trigger to have a cigarette mm-hmm. or having a meal is a trigger to have a cigarette. And so maybe instead of uh, you're always going to have those same triggers. You're always going to wake up. Maybe it triggers some other new good habit, or maybe you find a new simpler trigger in order to, to trigger a habit. I remember when we were we, we moved to that cabin in the middle of nowhere in Montana, and at the bottom of the staircase, I, I had this like little bedroom upstairs uh, in that cabin. Every time you came down the staircase, there was a pull-up bar mm-hmm. there. And for me, my trigger to do pull-ups and the exercise was anytime I walked down the stairs, I had to do six Mm pull-ups every single time. Every time I was going back up the stairs, I had to do six pull-ups. So I installed a new trigger in my life that forced me to just do this little incremental bit of exercise. But every single day, I was doing like 60 or 80 or 100 pull-ups because every time I go up and down, I need to come down from writing to get something to eat or to go out or whatever. It was that little trigger. And these little triggers... They um, they they amount to huge changes. These huge shifts. It feels like a two percent pivot or a five percent pivot, but a month from now, two months from now, a year from now, you're in a totally different place. Six pull-ups isn't going to do anything for me, but if I do it every single time I walk underneath that thing, all of a sudden I've got a brand new habit. Yeah. I'm talking about creating new habits. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I mean I would just encourage you, uh, Bettina. Um, Stop asking what you can do and do it. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to give you some like really direct, tough advice. Um, it is, it is, uh, it's impossible to have good habits if you don't practice them. And and I could, Josh and I could sit here and talk about triggers. We could talk about leverage all day long. But at the end of the day, if you've got to force yourself to do it, then that's what you have to do. Yeah. And if you don't take any action after this, then I got a question whether you want it or not, Patina. Yeah, I mean, I, there's some things that we we think we want, and then and then we get them, and we do, we realize like, oh, maybe I didn't want that at all. But I think sometimes we tell ourselves that we want something because we actually there's something deeper that we want. Mm. There there is a, a contentment we think the habit is going to bring. And so Ryan early on talked about having leverage, right? Well, the way you have leverage is you know what is beneath that want. Mm. What is the true desire of what you're pursuing? Rachel asks, I appreciate the eloquence and intent that you both bring in your writing, tour stops, and podcasts. Uh, were you both always great at articulating yourselves? Or is this something you you have developed over recent years? Am I articulate? Ryan, have you always been this handsome? <laughs> I thought like I cherry-picked this question. I love words. Um, and, I think it's taken a lot of practice. I, I mean, I don't have any like formal school. I don't have like a, a college degree or anything. Not that I think you would learn to be articulate in college. I know a lot of inarticulate uh, college graduates and PhDs and everything else. And I know plenty of really articulate people who who don't have any sort of credentials 
whatsoever. And I think it's because it comes from from many years of practice. For mm. me, uh, it was accidental. I I took a sales job when I turned 18. It was actually 12 years. I was almost 12 years. I was mm. with that company, the telecom company, because it was a month after I turned 18. I got that sales job. Mm. I'm an extreme extrovert. It was really hard for me to talk to people in general, just anyone, even my friends. It was hard for me to to get anything out. But when you're forced to talk to people day in and day out, over and over and over, you learn how to communicate better, right? It's, you have you know, to. Practice makes perfect, or it doesn't actually make perfect. It makes you better, though. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, it's the the biggest thing that helped me with public speaking was actually my speech one on one class. But okay, there you go. But but what I'll say though is you don't need a. You're right. You don't need a speech one on one class. But I'll tell you what it taught me. So you don't have to take the speech one on one class. Mm. Um, uh, what Josh said, practice. Uh, more specifically, for every minute that your presentation is practice for an hour. Josh and I exceed way over exceed that. We have a 15 minute talk each. Uh, we have practiced for pr probably 80 hours leading up to it. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is when you get on stage and if something happens uh, that's unexpected and interrupts you, you start to recall everything from muscle memory and it's, it, it's, it helps so much. Um, the other thing- You can uh, also pick up. Like if you, if you totally miss something, oh, I forgot that line. You can skip to the next line and it's okay. Yeah. You, re you realize that there's somewhere else to pick up instead of like just deer in headlights. Oh my God, panic. Yeah. And then uh, there was one exercise that um, our teacher had us do. It was instructional videos. So we had to like record ourselves doing an instructional. I did one on like how to repair a drywall mm. hole or something. But I had I, I didn't realize why she was doing that, but it helps you be articulate because you have to be very clear with your instructions. And uh, you've got to be able to see the camera and hand gestures and so forth and so on. Um, but if you do want some type of um, practice with public speaking or, or uh, just being a good speaker in general, you can do like a Toastmasters club. You can go, um, you know, volunteer at places like Chamber of Commerce or I'm trying to think all the, I mean, those are those are not the most exciting groups uh, yeah. to me, yeah. but but um, it doesn't matter. Like it, they, they those are tools that you can use to help uh, to help you be a better speaker. And I think if you want to improve your writing, one of the best things you can do is start a blog. Uh, yeah, it's one of the best things that I ever did for my like own professional life in terms of being a writer, because it allows you to sort of think in public and, and, and think via the written word. It's not always going to be great. I mean, uh, you're not Seth Godin as soon as you start a blog. If you want exactly how Ryan and I started a blog, sort of the whole soup to nuts approach, you can go to theminimalists.com slash blog. It's like the, uh, like literally, so many people kept writing like, how'd you start your blog? What'd you do? What'd you do to this thing? And like, I was tired of writing emails back to people. So like we just have this step-by-step -step recipe of exactly what we did to, to start our own blog. And I think you'll find some value in that. There's some other like external resources from that that you can find as well. Yeah. All right, let's see what we have here. Andy says, I'm a productive, not busy, professional with a side hustle, not to mention household management, financial management, family, etc., responsibilities at home. My days are nearly 100% full, but I normally feel fulfilled. What strategies do you have to make the weekends restorative? It's easy to let social media or to let social events, extra work from the week and errands crowd out the good stuff like a long run or hike with my husband. Mm. So I, I don't know, I man. I, I, I could tell you one, one thing that, one thing I'm gonna add back into my life that I haven't done in a while, I wanna try this out. 
Um, Ryan and I have rather unconventional lives, which is really nice to certain extents, but it, it does force me, no, not force me. I accidentally get into these patterns where I'm, I start to work every single day and I don't realize I'm doing it. Cause mm. ah, I just be three or four hours today. And, mm. and it's not like a big day. Like we had the day where it was full all day. But, um, I find that I need the, the, the day to reset, you know, the, uh, in, in ancient times, we call it a Sabbath, right? And, uh, where you just turn off all electronics for a day. You, know, you call it a digital detox or screenless Sundays or, or whatever that day of the week is for you. And ha- set up some hard rules that eventually you can break or, or manipulate or bend a little bit. Mm. But have those rules up front to temporarily deprive yourself so you can have that time to, to restore, to reset, so that when you go back into the week, you do you do feel like, oh, like, I was able to breathe mm. and and I don't feel overwhelmed by the glowing screens. Yeah, I'll tell you what I do is uh, like I've got a plan to go on a hike this Friday uh, with some friends out in Pasadena and I'm going to leave my phone in the car. Um, I'm going to uh, make sure that I give them my undivided attention. And that's on the calendar right now. Yeah, and it's on the calendar. So so uh, I schedule what I'm going to do and, and I hold it sacred. Um, if you are... Uh, uh, and we all do this. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm perfect at it, but if you are on your phone in front of your friend, what does that say? It just says that you're not really there present with your friend and you're allowing someone else to kind of distract you from that moment. So the, the closer you can get to putting that phone away uh, and removing the distractions, I think I think you'll be able to get that rejuvenated time. It sounds like... Um, it sounds like you also might be saying yes to too many things on the weekends and practice saying no. Yeah. Get yeah. used to it. I mean, it's so funny. People are so scared to say no, Josh. But if if I if I told someone no, like if someone's asking me for my time and I said no, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do that. Yeah. And then they and then they got mad at me. I, I would just stop being friends with that so person. It says more about them than it does about you. Yeah, them. I mean, like... To same, same with this thing. I, I really resonate with what you were just saying because I mean, I'm thinking about now since we're on video or watching this, mm-hmm. but for if you're listening to this after the fact, like, if I'm holding this up, like, even if it's like this, but especially if it's like this, you can see this is a true barrier between the two of us, right? Like, if I just hold this up in front of you, now all of a sudden you can't see me, right? And, and it's a true barrier, but it's also, more importantly, it's a metaphorical barrier between mm-hmm. us. If, if I'm holding up a phone, or here's even uh, just as bad for me, uh, if, if I do this, I, I take the phone, I set it here on the table when we're having dinner together, mm-hmm. it says, hey, you're really important until something more important comes along right, right here. As soon as I get interrupted, yeah. Yeah, and so so you can limit the interruptions because remember, like all, all the things that you've said yes to, you can also say no to, or everything you've picked up, you you can put down. All right, let's see if we've got one more question that we have time for here. Okay, sweet. Oh man, Ashley says I am deep into the stages of grief after losing my father in July of last year. My whole life looks different because I am an only child, and now my mother lives with my husband and I and some of her values do not line up with mine. How or what can I do to remind myself daily to live with intention when I have a hard time feeling motivated to get e- to, to even get through each day? Wow, sorry about your loss. Yeah, that's rough. That's I, I, I know that, I know that, so, so 
The good news is that you are in control, even though it feels like you're not. And I know the dynamic for you has changed. You, you are with your mother who raised you. She made the rules when you were in her house. But she's in your house now, and she also has to, to respect the rules. And and so I don't know. You, you didn't give specifics about, you know, it, it, obviously if she's if she's engaging in particularly egregious behavior, if she's being a passive aggressive or just aggressive or mean or anything, I don't, I doubt that uh, that's what's going on. But if it is, that, realize that, A, that's a stage of grief. And you can sit down and have a conversation with her as well and say, hey, look, I know you're angry. I know you're mad. I know you're sad. I know you're frustrated. I also know that this living situation for you, it sounds like it's a, a temporary living situation. But also understand that I'm going through the, the grieving process as well. Yeah. And more than anything, I could really use your support. And more important, here are the ways you can support me. Because I can't just go to Ryan and say, hey, can you support me? Thanks, mm -hmm. have a nice day. Because if he doesn't know how to support me, it's like it's like me saying, hey, Ryan, can you speak to me in German? Right. Well, you're gonna have to learn German in order to do that. So she has to learn how she can best support you. Well, how can she learn that? You have to teach her the language of your own support. Yep, and the best way you can gain her support is by supporting her. That, mm -hmm. is, that doesn't mean to go outside of your values and beliefs. It doesn't mean that if you're not a hoarder and she is to let her hoard your entire house, but it does mean that you go out of your way to support her whenever you can, when it does align with your values and beliefs. Because then when you go to her and say, hey, you know what, I would really like your support, then she's gonna be so happy to support you because you've gone out of your way to do that for her. In fact, I'll tell you, a lot of the times, you don't even have to ask people for the, for the support back. When they see that you care about them, you want them to be happy, and, and you want them to, to live a meaningful life, they're gonna help you do the same thing without you even asking a lot of the times. All right, last question here is from Natasha. Natasha says, as a marketer who hates using her profession to take advantage of people's insecurities, I'm, interest, I'm interested to know your thoughts on using marketing to strengthen and spread minimalism as a message. So, so I think we need to, we, we need, I just wrote an essay about this. It, it's called, Can We Have an on, Honest Conversation About Advertisements? And I think the first thing we need to do is we need to delineate advertising from marketing. They're two completely different things. I know we often use them as a culture. We use them interchangeably and say, uh, this is a marketing message. And advertisement, it can be a type of marketing message for sure, but marketing in, in its best, truest form means how can I be considerate of, uh, of other people's needs, help them fulfill those needs, without bothering them. Mm. So that's how ultimately we can be responsible stewards of marketing. We can help connect people with what they need. And sometimes that can even be a product. It's okay. Ryan and I, I mean, I just showed you a product that, you know, we spent time writing a book and now it's available in, in several different languages. That is a product. Now, the artifact itself, the, the physical widget or whatever, doesn't matter. It's the experience of, of reading the words there. So ultimately, I think the products should augment our experience of life. They should make life better. They shouldn't get in the way of what we're trying to experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything to add to that, man. I think it's a really good place to stop, honestly. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, thank you all. We really appreciate you. We're going to do, as soon as we get the furniture and equipment in here for the new studio space, we will uh, make sure that uh, we give you a proper video tour of the space exclusively for the Patreon folks. And, of course, the Minimalist Private Podcast shows up right there in your podcast feed. All you need is that link, and you put it into whatever podcast app that you use. That link is on every single private podcast post that we put out there. You can find it there toward the bottom. It's it's there. You just have to read the text. All right, y'all. Until next time, love people, use things. The opposite never works. See you later. Thanks so much for your support. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
and minimalists. <laughs>